0: Father God, we ask your blessing. I don't come as a professional speaker. Each of us come as a student of your holy scriptures. This morning, we want to acknowledge the fact that Satan would have us not receive a blessing in this meeting, this day, in this conference. But as we spent some time in prayer a few minutes ago, and as we now lift this session to you, we ask that you will overrule Satan's plans. Father, I pray that you will take the words that I speak and translate them, as only the Holy Spirit can do, to something that is a true blessing. We want to be challenged this morning, but Father, I pray that no one is hurt, but that your truth speaks forward. Thank you for your spirit being with us, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, 2,000 years ago, a battle raged. The struggle was not only for territory on earth, but for the whole existence of the universe. The armies of earth and the great battles of mankind are no comparison to the conflict that took place when Jesus was here on earth. In the time of Christ, this conflict was not new to the universe. Man had mistrusted God in the Garden of Eden. All sin started in the place especially designed by God to be a protection for man. The garden. Eve had accepted two lies: that God does not mean what he says, and that man will never die. In the same act, the same sin God brought down, was brought down to the level of Adam and man was elevated to the level of God. I'll explain that a little bit more as we look through history. A lesson for each of us this morning is that Satan knows how to work in the garden, or wherever you are. There's no guaranteed way to avoid Satan's influence except in heart communion with Jesus. Do you want that heart communion with Jesus this morning? Do you want his robe to cover you? Can we right now invite him into our lives so that Jesus may go with us into each class, each appointment? May Jesus prompt the words of our mouths throughout this day. Is this your desire as well as mine for today? Amen. Praise the Lord. The culmination of the life of Christ on this earth was the ultimate showdown between good and evil the focal point of the crucifixion of Christ. Satan and his minions were jubilant in the apparent defeat of of Jesus. Satan was determined that Jesus would never leave the tomb. But on Sunday morning, there was no power in the universe able to, to restrain and resist the call of God to his son. Until the resurrection of Christ, Satan had some ongoing access to heaven. Satan himself appeared before the intergalactic council of the universe as Earth's principle. The sons of God met together, and there was Satan, the ruler of the Earth. Every vote that was cast, he was causing sedition and discord. Every discussion was tainted with his disagreements and accusations. Heaven itself had become a hell because Satan was there. At the resurrection, we see an epic shift of power, almost like the whole earth tilts, or heaven tilts, and Satan and his minions are feeling the pull toward earth. There's a, there's a struggle, and we'll read in Revelation chapter 12 in just a minute. Satan sees in horror as his legions hurling toward earth. The battle The Bible says... There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Revelation 12, verse 7. I don't think we have any conception of what war would actually be like in heaven. With this introduction, I'd like you to turn with me to the 12th chapter of Revelation, and I'd like to read the chapter in two sections. First, the section talking about an introduction to the scene of this conflict, and second, how this conflict then moves to earth. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 initially. Our title again, The Dragon, The Soil, and The Prepper. I don't know if it'll be possible for us to read in unison But if anything I say today, God's words are what will give us inspiration. If you'd like to read responsively, I'm going to read from a King James Version. But if you'd like to read in whatever version you have, uh, but I'd like to move, instead of really slow reading, I'd like to kind of just move through verses 1 through 6. You're welcome to join me. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head's. And his tail grew, drew a thro- third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God, and they should feed her there 1,200 and threescore days. We're going to pause here just for a moment, and then we're going to read the rest of the chapter. You can read it with me in just a moment. Those verses flowed very smoothly off of our lips, but do you realize that encompassed 4,000 years of earth's history? Look at verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child. Who was the man-child? Jesus. Do you notice? I am just in awe. Chapter 12 and verse 5 does not go in through any heart-wrenching exclamations that Jesus lost. Look at it again. He is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God. The disciples at the crucifixion said, all is lost, I give it up. Our Savior has died. And the Bible simply says, he's caught up to God. The Bible doesn't get into this loss, this this sense that God's kingdom was imperiled. Because the perspective here is on the resurrection, isn't it? Caught up to God and to his throne. We can thank the Lord for the resurrection this morning. Do you notice the part that the the, the soil played? The dragon had a plan, and the wilderness was a tool in God's hand. Let's continue reading the the rest of the chapter, and we'll start at verse 7. And there was war in heaven... Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not: neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world: he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that his time is a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. And the to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. What a blessing. What a blessed chapter. From this alone, I feel like we've had our devotional thought. I want to draw your attention back up to verse 11, just briefly before we return to my thoughts. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto death. We see this continuing from the cross on down through time, don't we? Do you get the picture here when we look at this chapter that Satan is very happy about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Fury is really what we're talking about. The crucifixion of Jesus started a chain reaction that leads directly to the events of our day. From that instant onward, it's like a snowball rolling down a mountainside that turns into a larger and larger and even an avalanche that the powers of Satan cannot stop. Notice that in verse 12, it's a split verse. There was rejoicing in heaven... There was peace again. There was purity, harmony, joy. But where did the devil, the evil, the discord, the anger, the sedition, the filth, where did it go? It came here to the earth. Woe to the earth, for the dragon is come down with great wrath. Can you imagine the most powerful created being of the universe being excluded from heaven? Can you imagine that? Satan's ambition was to rule that intergalactic council, and now he's excluded from even attending. Rage and fury hardly describe Satan. So let's just think, what happened in earth's history following the crucifixion of Christ? The earth was plunged into darkness and misery. Pagan persecution of the early Christian church was cruel and ground God's people down. But under persecution, God's message still spread. Then something even more sinister took place. Wolves in sheep's clothing. All of the counsels from Paul talking about a change is going to take place and it's going to be more dangerous than anything you've experienced before and it's going to come from within the church. For thousands of years, God's truth had been hallowed and believed. And now his church, the Church of Christ, Christians, started covering the truth of the Bible. The seeds of Satan's government were planted in the infant Christian church. Just like a parasitic plant that grows and chokes out its host, these errors grew in the church. My family have been enjoying the the idea that this is the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. Has that been a, a, a fact that you're aware of? 500 years ago in October, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door. And there's a lot of news happening in the secular world about the Protestant Reformation. BBC published an article a few days ago from the Archbishop of Canterbury in York saying that Christians everywhere need to repent of the discord created in the Reformation. This is from the Anglican Church, of course, not the Catholic Church. The Protestant Reformation is seen today as an unfortunate mistake in the popular media. But I present to you that the Protestant Reformation was a response to the decline of truth that was Satan's plan as he was cast out of the intergalactic council. There are three seeds that I believe took place in the early church three seeds of error that multiplied into other seeds. Those of you who like to take notes, I see a couple of you doing that, I'll give you these three seeds, and I'd like to talk in each one about where that seed developed to a mature harvest in the Christian church. These aren't profound, and they're not long. The first seed is the belief that there is an eternal living soul. The first lion, the Garden of Eden, was brought into the church Satan told Eve, you shall not surely die. The error of an eternal living soul is not biblical, and it brings in a host of spin-off errors. If a soul can never die, then you have a hell that is burning forever. An eternal torture chamber that destroys the character of God as eternally vindictive for a short life of sin. This seed opens the door to spiritism, and saint worship. From there, we have prayers to saints that impart some of their goodness to us and to intercede for us to God. The doctrine of purgatory is rooted in this root seed. This seed error of an eternal living soul is an error that has reached its tentacles into the Christian church. And all of those tentacles are leading away from God. A second seed that that Satan planted into the early Christian church is that man can work to save himself. We see Cain bringing an offering of his own devising rather than a lamb. Rather than the blood of Jesus, Cain brought an offering from the garden. An offering of his own works. The seed error that man can work to save himself is the foundation of all pagan religions. If salvation is by works, then we are not saved by Jesus, but rather by our deeds. This seed grows into acts of penance. The idea that our our deeds will somehow mitigate our time in purgatory, which we already have acknowledged from the first seed is an error in itself that these acts of penance will somehow improve our acceptance with God. Climbing a staircase on our knees or looking at a church relic is seen to defray one's penalty for sin. This leads to the idea of being able to purchase indulgences, not only for past sins or past relatives, but how about those sins we are yet yet to commit? This proves so corrupting an influence in the medieval church. The third seed is that man could be elevated to be a god. We know the beast would seek to change times and laws. Who do you have to be if you're going to change God's laws? You have to be a god. The worship of idols prohibited by the second commandment, but common in all of paganism, was introduced into the church. Pagan idols were renamed, and today you can go to Rome and see Jupiter, or is it Peter? And you can kiss his toe right there, the statue. If man can disregard God's commandments, then he has the power to change laws about time. Sabbath worship was replaced by Sunday of the pagans. The Pope was seen as having authority not only to interpret Scripture— but having the power to modify it. The priest claimed the power to command the sacrifice of God in the Mass and to receive confession and to offer pardon for sin in the confessional. Confessing to God is what God wants us to do. Confessing to man is an error, putting man above God. If the priest can forgive sins, then isn't it logical that he can choose to withhold that forgiveness? With this power, it's easy to see how evil could influence the church not only to threaten the punishment of hell, but to mete out the torture of hell by fire, burning heretics to death at the stake. This seed led to the error of the Inquisition, a time of fear and evil that persecuted millions in cruel and painful deaths. In this study of Revelation chapter 12, I've been fascinated with how the seeds of error could be have such a bountiful harvest in the Christian church. The Bible was a tool that could have been used to combat the errors of paganism that was infiltrating the church. But rather than use the Bible as a guide, the church outlawed it. It was relegated to the dusty shelves of Monasteries, chained to the wall, it was placed in obscure and ancient languages, out of the reach of the common person. With no light from the Bible to combat the error, the people were led into error by the greed and corruption of the church leaders. So we've seen the dragon here represented. Satan was raging in fury with a singular goal to obliterate the record of the Christian religion. What does God use to intercede for his people? Two things stand out, and they are related to each other, as we've already seen in the chapter. Verse 14, we see the wilderness, and in verse 16, the earth swallows up the flood. It's like God's sponge. The soil is God's sponge to soak up the marauding evil. If we look at the history of France, it proves the point that Satan's plan was to exterminate God's truth. The Huguenots were either completely exterminated or exiled to other countries. It was in the mountain ranges of the Alps that were a shield for the marauding band sent to wipe out the Waldenses. It was in the new earth of America that would soak up much of the fury of the papacy, a government that was to be formed here without a king, and a church without a pope. And God's people are clearly told from Scripture that there is safety in the wilderness. Cities are not the kind of place for God's children to be, especially as we look at an end-time scenario. As we finish the chapter 12 of Revelation, let's focus again on that last verse. The dragon was wroth with the woman, And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our topic the dragon, the soil, and the prepper. God's people are persecuted by the dragon, and we are the objects of his wrath because he can't get to God directly, so he will inflict as much pain as possible on God's church. The soil buffered the withering attack of the dragon, and it is by God's people, and it's how God's people have miraculously survived to this point. We've established that the dragon has not given up his plans and especially targeted God's last people, who are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. We ourselves feel the pull to the cities, away from the soil, away from the wilderness. Knowing what we are up against should make us want to escape, to bug out. There's a fine line here that I want, to rest- I want you to wrestle with. Exclusion is intention with outreach. Solitude is intention with mingling freely with others, spreading your influence to them self-preservation is intention with self-sacrifice each of us need to understand the implications of our decisions as we look back to history at the reformers i see a pattern that i would like to call you toward we as god's people are a movement of destiny and a movement of prophecy we are not to be caught off guard by the coming times the laws And the persecutions that we know from this chapter are going to take place. The Waldenses dwelt in the mountains, but they sent out missionaries all over Europe. These were the seeds of the Reformation. Men and women walked to the stake in the Reformation. Archbishop Cranmer ran to the stake. In fact, having the jailers have a hard time keeping up with them. I'm not not proposing that you take on a martyr mentality. But what I am proposing, that if God calls you to that end, know that your death will be seed. When probation closes, God will have none of his followers die, a useless death. Brother Hazel in the Second World War was drafted into the German army He threw his government pistol into the pond and carved a wooden pistol to put into his holster so that in an emergency battle he would never be tempted to use his gun to kill another human being. Do you have a gun that you hope to use for self-protection? Preppers do. But what does that really say about our place as leading someone else to Jesus in the end-time persecutions? What I'd like you to do in our conclusion here is to have you think what will you do for God's truth when you are presented with persecution what about hordes of food do you think Satan is really going to allow God's people to enjoy this stash do you really think that we're going to be sitting off grid with our solar panels watching the earth melt around us All of our stores will be taken by violence. The mind of the prepper is a dangerous thing, and I share this not to condemn you, but to reflect on my life as well. Somehow, some of us have been caught off guard by the world's prepper mentality. I caution you to beware. Remember that we are up against a foe who knows what we're doing, who knows our plan, and who knows how to tempt us to sin. Don't fall with your stash. If you've tracked with me in my presentation so far this morning, you can see that country living and family garden is an important part of God's plan. I hope you're not feeling like I'm putting that down in any way. I believe that we are in the last hours of this Earth's history. And I'm sure that many of you are right with me to see the value of country living, to see the value of working in the soil. But I want to just t- challenge you, in this year of it, the anniversary of the Reformation, that you live those tensions as the Reformers did. When tempted to be isolated, move forward in outreach. Mingle with others who need to know who Jesus is work on your farm but have us a a ministry to the cities forget yourself and serve others in self-sacrifice learn to release the things that Satan wants to tie you to this earth some of us are involved in gathering lands you have to have land to farm don't you but I challenge you to think how will you get rid of those lands so that they don't become an encumbrance to you in the end. I believe that Jesus is coming soon and may our devotion to God be uncompromising. May our love for others be pure and overflowing. I'd like to close with prayer, praying not for God to give us the exact path, but to make us willing to follow his path because this tension is one that all of us feel how do we downsize but yet grow an industry how do we protect our families but yet be the seed that spreads the gospel in this earth let's pray together father God we see the issues of the Reformation We see the pull on our hearts to gather things for our protection. Father, I just challenge myself and each person here not to be caught in Satan's plan that we will be able to protect ourselves. May you be our protector. And Father, I pray that when the time comes, we may walk away from any possession that we have. Acknowledging heaven as our goal and our inheritance. Father, as we turn our attention to this day, I pray that you'll fill each of us with your spirit. That you'll guide us, that you will have the words that we speak to each other be words that have this Reformation perspective in place. That we can say, Jesus is coming soon, How can I serve you? How can I make you ready for this soon-coming event? Jesus, help us not to fear Satan and his wrath, but help us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Send us this morning into this day, we pray, and with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse